Now you probably are wondering why am I up here today when it's supposed to be on schedule to preach to you is Pastor Mabel. Well, I received news on Thursday that uh, Pastor Mabel is not well, that she's down with COVID like many of our people who are not here today. And so, as they say in show business, the show must go on, right? So I look at Joseph, but Joseph is not around to be looked at because he was in JB. And so I look at Pastor Ellen, but Pastor Ellen looked back at me. And so that's the reason why I'm here today, all right? So with that, let's uh, bow our heads as we commit this time to God in prayer. So gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we are able to gather together in this place that despite of the many COVID cases that is rising, we pray, Lord, that you will continue to be our protection, our covering, and that, Lord, even as we gather here in this place to listen to your word, Father, we pray that you give us a fresh perspective of what it means to know that you, Lord, Jesus is our Lord. So Holy Spirit, come, speak to us as we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, continuing on in our service this evening in the season of Advent where we, if you recall, last weekend we lit up the candle of hope. And that is simply to remind us that Jesus is the light of the world in this dark and gloomy world. And today, in the beginning of the service, you see uh, Ellen, together with Sinkiet, lighting up the second candle, the candle of peace. And this is a remembrance for us that in this world of chaos, in this, in this world of mayhem and uncertainty, Jesus is still the Lord and is in control of all things. What a wonderful and encouragement for us to start the service today, isn't it? To know that it is not the president of Singapore, it is not the Prime Minister of Singapore to know that it is not the President of the United States or the President of Russia that is Lord, but rather that Jesus is Lord of all. Now, this concept of Jesus is Lord, you find that it is one of the foundational beliefs in the Christian doctrines. We read in Peter's maiden sermon, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, where Peter declared to the multitudes that were present there, he said this, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then we have the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans. He further adds that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we find that God is Lord is indeed one of the most frequent title used in the Bible. But before we explore deeper into the Lordship of Jesus, I want us to consider for a moment this term, Lord. What comes to your mind when you think of this word? Well, perhaps for some of us who may be older, you know, we may associate this to an old English title being bestowed on people, especially those in the United Kingdom. You find that this is a title, the title Lord is given to someone of worth, someone perhaps who have contributed much to society or to a person with power and authority. And you find that the dictionary describes this word Lord in the following way, that it is a person who has authority, a person with control or power over others. He could be a master, a chief, or a ruler, a person who exercises authority from property rights and owner of land, houses, etc. So that's how in the modern world you and I would define the word Lord. 
But what has the Bible to say about this word? Well, if you look into the Old Testament, you find that the word Adonai is commonly used to translate the word Lord. Yahweh is another familiar term found in the Hebrew. And this is the secret name of God that is often translated as Lord in bold capital. And then when you look in the New Testament, you find that it is the Greek word, Kyrios, which has the same meaning as Yahweh. Now, when you look at all of these words in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you find that they carry the same implication of one who is supreme in authority, one who is the master, one who is the ruler. So therefore, if we are to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, it is to affirm, we are to affirm that every man, nature, kingdom, spiritual dominion, and all constellation, they will yield to Jesus and to Jesus alone. It is to confess with our mouth that He existed before all created things, that Jesus controls and governs all things, that Jesus alone is sovereign and is not subject to any committee, congress, or parliament. And explained in another way by author Bruce Mao, God's lordship can be expressed in this three related perfection. God's lordship can be seen in the omnipotence of God. This is a big word, all right? What does omnipotent mean? It means that God is all-powerful. Omni means all. Potent means potency, powerful. So God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. The Lordship of God can also be seen in the fact that He's omnipresence, which tells us that God is everywhere. And lastly, that God is also omniscience. God is all-knowing. But yet, interestingly, even though we can affirm that God is all of this, yet we find that there are those who tend to reject the Lordship of Christ and unfortunately, they do so for the wrong reasons. And the first reason is that of fear. Now, the story was told of a car that was stolen, and the police staged an intense search for both the vehicle and driver, to the point that the police placed an announcement over the local radio station to contact the carjacker, to tell him, hey, please, come in. Why? Well, you see, the reason was simply because the stolen car contained a box that was full of biscuits, but this biscuits was laced with poison. Why? Because the car owner had intended to use the biscuit as rat bait. However, we find that the authority, you know, tries they might, they couldn't contact the thief. The authorities here were more concerned in wanting to apprehend the thief so as to save his life rather than to punish him or to recover the car. So the question is this, when we run away from God or we reject his lordship, is it because we fear the punishment? And as pointed out in the illustration, when we do this, we are in fact eluding the Lord's rescue. You see, we aren't intelligent beings. We are not able to manage our life without Him. We travel this road of self-deceit and think that we are clever enough to chart the course on our own. 
And this is why you find that the Bible continuously speaks of God's lordship over our lives. Simply because He wants to guide and to protect us. But here lies the lie of the devil. You see, the devil wants us to reject Christ's lordship because by believing that once we control, we surrender control to him, the devil wants to tell us that it means a life being settled with much sorrow. But if you think about this for a moment, it doesn't make sense, isn't it? If God's intention is really to make us miserable, all he needs to do, he can do it without our permission. After all, he's the all-powerful God, isn't it? He's the sovereign Lord, and this wouldn't be a problem for him at all. So you see, the devil doesn't want us to accept the lordship of Christ because he puts that fear in us. Another possible reason why people chose to reject Jesus as Lord stems from this fear of oppression. You see, there's the assumption that once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, life will never be fun. There's a thinking that, you know, becoming a Christian is no fun because Christians have to be goody-goody two-shoes, you know. We cannot do naughty things and so forth. The thinking is that the moment we commit ourselves to Him, we have to sell away our very nice house. Maybe Christmas we have to cancel our holiday plans and we simply have to live like a hermit. Again, you find that this is a perception that Satan plans in our minds. Yes, there is no question that Jesus requires and expects certain changes when we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. But church, listen. God still does want to bless us as well. That when we ex accept Him, when we surrender our life to Him, when we accept Him as our Lord and Savior, His intention is to bless us. Remember, the intention is not for us to eat poison crackers. God wants to remove all that could harm you and I from being a better person. And Satan is well aware of this tremendous blessing when we come under Christ's lordship. And this is why he is so willing to put up a fight against us. A third reason why people, including us Christians, struggle to submit to Christ's lordship perhaps has to do with this difference of views. You see, there are some who, who, who reject Christ because they view God as they want Him to be and not the way as God reveals Himself to be. So could it be then that the blessing that God offers are not what they desire? And even when they do receive the blessing that comes from God, they're not really, you know, seekers of God. They're more like gold diggers. And this evidence for this view comes to light when many confess to leave the faith because their, their life were not heading to the direction that they wanted or when God appears not to be answering their prayers. And so because of this different view of God, they refuse to accept Him or submit to the Lordship of Jesus. One final reason could be because of people's lack or trust in the Lord. You see, Nothing contradicts God's character 
more than man's claim to say that I don't believe what you say is true. God has time and again provided the assurance that He is trustworthy, when He says that He will say thus, we can trust in His Word that this is what He will do. And He has done it by sending His Son, Jesus, come to come down from the glory of heaven to this earth to suffer and to die for your sins and mine. We find that it is in His love for us that Jesus surrendered His absolute, that God surrendered His absolute best for us. But nevertheless, despite of this, we still squirm at the top of surrendering and submitting to His Lordship. So why should Jesus be Lord of our lives? I presented to you the reasons why people rejected Jesus as Lord. Now let me propose three arguments as based on scriptures as to why we should accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And the first reason is because He is our Messiah and our Savior. Now at the birth of Jesus, as read in the Gospel of Luke, Luke clearly declares this truth. He says in verse 11 of chapter 2, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So Jesus is our Savior. And because He's our Savior, we should accept Him as our Lord. We will deal more with this topic next week. Pastor Allen will deal more on this as I do not want to take away his thunder, all right? So we'll come back next week to hear more about what it means to know that Jesus is our Savior. Second, why we should accept Jesus as our Lord is simply due to the authority that has been given to Him. Now we read in Colossians, Paul writing about the preeminence of Christ. The apostle reveals that Jesus has been given authority over all creation. And Paul demonstrated Jesus' lordship by showcasing his power over nature. He writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, he says this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or, power or, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Now, based on this passage, there are three fundamental truths that we must hold on to. The first tells us that Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. What does this mean? It simply means that He was before all times. That before anything was created, God, Jesus was already there. And if He's already there before time, surely He's worthy to be worshipped and accepted as our Lord. And because He was there at the beginning, the passage also tells us that we can therefore credit Him to be the Creator of all things. And if you read the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, the Bible is very clear that Jesus was there at the point of creation. 
And again, what does this tell us? That if Jesus is the one that created all things, Jesus is the one that created you and I, shouldn't He be worthy of our Lordship, of accepting Him as our Lord? And thirdly, we also find that in this passage, that He is the one that controls all events, because in Him, all things hold together. I find this as a wonderful encouragement for all of us that in the midst of this world that we are living in, where there's so much chaos, there's so much uncertainty, so much war that is going on, Jesus, as Lord, is still in control. He's holding all things together. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful assurance for all of us. But the passage continues to tell us that Jesus also, not only has authority over all creation, we are also reminded from scriptures that Jesus also has authority over demons, diseases, and death. Now we read this in the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. And in this chapter itself, it's a wonderful chapter, you can read it for yourself. But we find here that the passage tells us that Jesus was heading to a direction uh, together with his disciples, and there as he came to shore, they met a man who was possessed with demons. Not just one demon, but many demons. In fact, the demons called themselves legend, which means there were many demons. And yet, at the mention of the name of Jesus, the man with many demons is being set free. This tells us that Jesus has the authority over demons, that we can turn to Him, that whenever we are possessed, we call out in the name of Jesus, we call out in the authority of Jesus, and the demons will flee. Shouldn't this be enough to make Jesus as our Lord? Not convinced, we are told that the story tells us that after He healed the man, He went back to the other side, and who was there to greet Him? A woman who secretly was, you know, filled with uh, a disease. She, she was, uh, she, she was uh, 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 here was a woman with a uh, uh, discharge of blood. She has been trying to find a cure for 12 years, but nothing that she, every doctor that she went couldn't heal her at all. And yet when she touched the hem of Jesus, we are told that her disease was cured. And so we find that here, as the woman was being healed of her disease, we are told that the, Jesus has the authority over every disease. But more importantly, the story also tells us in Mark chapter 5 that Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house because his daughter was not well. But along the way, we, the, uh, Jesus was met with some of Jairus' servants who told him that the daughter had died. But yet, we are told that through his voice, Death is overcome as Jairus' daughter live again. So Jesus has authority over demons, diseases, and death. And that alone should convince us to make Jesus as our Lord. And finally, we can accept Jesus as our Lord because of what the Philippian passage says. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, Paul again writes, he says, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above 
every name so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we accept Jesus as our Lord. Why? Because God the Father has given him the highest honor. And like Isaiah and Ezekiel, knowing of this fact that Jesus is given the highest honor, our response can only be to bow down and to worship him. So as the music team comes up, as we prepare to close, let us be reminded today that Jesus is not only our Savior who came to redeem us and save us from our sins. We cannot stop there. We must also declare that Jesus is also our Lord. We need to confess. We need to profess in Him and give Him the full authority over our lives. You see, the moment we accept Him as our Savior, we accept Him also as Lord as well. So in closing, this Christmas, let's remind ourselves that Jesus is the returning King to judge the world, that Jesus is the light that shines bright in this dark and gloomy world. And today, let us be reminded that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And knowing that He's the Lord of our lives, our only action is to bow down, is to worship Him, is to give Him the glory. So let's do that right now. Let's invite you to stand as we close this time together, as we sing the response song that Jesus is Lord.
Father, we declare that you are Lord, that you alone are worthy to be Lord of our lives. And so, Father, this evening, as we receive your word, we avail ourselves to you. We open our hearts to you and say, Father, come in, be the Lord of my life. And for those of us who have not done so, who may perhaps be struggling to, to allow Jesus to submit yourself, to surrender your life to him, Perhaps let us take this moment of silence. Wherever you may be, God knows your heart. Would you just open up to Him and say, Yes, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Come and be the Lord of my life. Take control, knowing that you, Lord, wants to guide me, knowing that you, Lord, want to lead me. You're not the God that wants us to go into things that is not you know, that, that, is not, that is not right. But Father, you are the one that wants us to lead us into the path of righteousness. So as we spend this few moments, as the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, we have not accepted Jesus as our Lord, if we have not allowed Him to come in, would you just take this quiet moment to allow Him to come in? Thank you, Jesus. 